sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you Shots. like. What a stop! Shots for Ben! Oh! Oh! I mean, that sort of stuff, we're, it, it's been, we're, be, we're bigger than that. That interview is just like the performance, flat. No. Well, I mean, what do you want him to do? Just fall at Gabriel's feet crying? I mean, well, he's... Say something. We, we were doing what we'd done for 20 years, relaxing a nervous studio guest in the same way that you would in, in these conditions, um, and thought no more of it. Fire it up, fire it up. Very good afternoon, welcome to the Friday Football Podcast. Adrian Barry back this week, Dave McIntyre has been given the elbow and glad to say this afternoon we are joined by Jerry Gilroy. Afternoon Jerry. How are you? And Nathan Murphy. Nathan. How's it going? Look, going good and looking forward to another uh, busy weekend. Uh, with McIntyre out we can actually get some stuck into some decent uh, football chat this week. And we do want to start with the uh, Sunday matches. We have uh, two big ones. In fact we've all the Liverpool running over the next four or five weeks. Uh, to keep a track on and looking increasingly likely that they uh, could in fact go all the way so we'll start with that game at uh, four o'clock on Sunday you're at this one Nathan it's West Ham against Liverpool you're alongside uh, Clive Allen Dave in the lead into last week said he was uh, pressing the flesh with the supporters on his way into Anfield last week I think it actually turned out that he was on a bus he, he was and, on uh, public transport yeah he was on a bus and somebody on said Merseyside to him, Dave McIntyre <laughs> a Liverpool uh, supporter said to him it's the hope that kills us Dave so, in other words, Liverpool putting themselves in a position to actually win this thing. And in some ways, this particular supporter would rather that maybe in some ways that uh, Liverpool actually weren't involved because his expectations, his hope just gets there and dashed. Uh, no, that kills us. Really? Yeah. So Nobody would ever forego the chance, chance to win a title. Yeah. I, it's I, maybe that they're leading still quite a distance out it's still with six games to go they peaked that little bit too early yeah. the idea I, I think I presume with the idea of it's the hope that kills us the premise of it is that we die so I presume that was the tenor of the his comment ultimately the last two decades would teach you that Liverpool won't win the league well also yeah. I think the Sunderland match you saw in the last ten minutes what it's like for football supporters to be involved in a title race because there was just such a different atmosphere amongst Liverpool supporters they went completely silent when Sunderland were coming at them and coming at them looking for an equaliser because they were in, living in fear of Sunderland getting this equaliser which would ruin their title ambitions even there, though necessarily it shouldn't. There is the possibility that they'd blown themselves out with the mad pre-match uh, procession that they accompanied the team bus with with the flares and the dancing and the celebrating as if they'd won the league before the match against Sunderland. So there's like, you know, maybe they just need to learn to start just as the ball is kicked off in the first minute and well, that is something. Until the that is something minutes. that maybe we'll talk about next week about the atmosphere that's going to be at Anfield ahead of the game against Manchester City with the 25th anniversary of Hillsborough that maybe it will just be too much emotion in the build-up to the game for the players to handle. This is the sort of match, though, that all Liverpool supporters are just thinking, banana skin, Andy Carroll, Stuart Downing, Joe Cole, yeah, all with a mm. point to prove. And didn't even think of Downing and Cole to be honest. Yeah, but yeah, but, uh, yeah Andy, Andy Carroll up against Martin Skirtle and Daniel Agger, who struggled at the start of the season in particular against big se- centre forwards and Big Sam, of course, his ability to out tactic the greatest managers in the world. David Sullivan uh, saying this week the West Ham corner that uh, Carroll and Downing, like he's got the old big stick out here, obviously have been uh, the big reason for West Ham's success this season. The reason that they have kind of stayed away Did you from. Say about Carroll because Carroll has only played. Yeah, well, this is exactly the point. So, in other words, he's Downing, Downing has played well. Yeah, without he's creating okay. Roy, Roy, a huge amount. Roy Keane would uh, counter the idea of having him as your captain in terms of the ability to stay away from the rele- relegation places. 
uh, as he did a couple of months ago. But uh, yeah, look from Andy Carroll's point of view, he's been injured for a lot of the season. And and didn't get I mean, the right card there, Keane. What did Keane Roy say? Keane said about Stuart uh, Downing. Uh, could be three months ago when West Ham were right in it uh, as in the relegation battle he said like what do you expect from a team who is Stuart Downing as the captain yeah it's the, the captain's so important like well it is if you're Roy Keane who yeah, that's built thing. his entire career around <clears throat> being the captain uh, I, th- I still think Liverpool should have too much for West Ham probably West Ham winning a Monday night was the best thing that could have happened Liverpool they're just scoring so many goals at the moment it's hard to see West Ham keeping Sturridge, Suarez out for a full 90 minutes. Well, this is the, isn't it? It's the, it's the way that West Ham will approach the game that is why they're particularly a banana skin because they'll just sit back and defend and be happy with a nil all. And the teams who have in any way peaked their head above whatever parapet there is, uh, metaphorically speaking, when you take on Liverpool, have found themselves punched. Um, Cardiff went at it, decided we're going to try and score goals. They got destroyed. But the Sunderland game, um, Sunderland were fairly resolute for long periods and uh, didn't attack and therefore were actually very difficult to break down so I, I would be concerned But Liverpool, Liverpool did still break them down yeah. and Sunderland had a lot more to play for than West Ham do going into this match I also think West Ham are so one dimensional at the moment Andy Carroll it's it's long ball every single time which you would presume they've been training for all week they'll be ready for this and that it might be it might be a tight match. It probably isn't going to be a six three again away from home. It might be one nil. It might be two one like mm. Sunderland. But if West Ham do sit back around the eighteen yard box, that Sturridge or Suarez have that moment of magic every time might to not just be, get uh, Liverpool out of a hole. Might not be six three, but because I don't really feel that West Ham have those sort of goals in them. But uh, it does have a feeling maybe a six one or something about it. Oh, you think of hammering? Well, I, I do think Liverpool can win comfortably. I don't think that uh, West Ham have the goals in them to uh, for it to be a six-three. Like I, I can see, I can see Liverpool scoring six goals. I can see West Ham scoring three. Just on the idea of um, Liverpool and their fans getting so carried away, like the this bunch of Liverpool players to a large degree, uh, two thousand and two, two thousand and nine to to a degree, obviously, and some of them, most of them, were involved at that stage, have never been in this position before. And Brendan Rodgers has never been in this position before, and he's actually acquitted himself pretty decently over the last little while he kind of mentions all the, says all the right things he's not getting particularly sorry Kevin Keegan panicked about the situation that he's in and I, if I was a player I'd be quite comfortable with Brendan Rodgers uh, taking me through the final few weeks after. Yeah, so, I feel that they have the two strikers um, that allow them to be comfortable mm. in almost any situation and I don't see any reason for a collapse at this point now you say that and then they lose the next six games and it was, oh, it was obvious all along but I don't think it is. So. And Brendan Rodgers I just think has been an absolute revelation over the past year or so. He came across as such a Brentish type figure after the Being Liverpool documentary and with his comments at the start of last season and one of the comments he made was about death by football. He said this very early on that this, they were going to kill teams by death by football which they're doing but I don't think in the way he imagined whatsoever. He imagined it in the Barcelona tiki-taka style that he had at Swansea Liverpool have just it's it's organised chaos in attack yeah. I think he just sets those either three or four attackers whether he plays Coutinho and Sterling I'd imagine he won't play both of them away to West Brom and says okay ye three guys run 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 different angles constantly confuse the defence and then he's got that base behind them of Henderson who 
is so underrated still, mm. who does all the donkey work there. Gerrard, who has settled into his position in the last few months in the defensive midfield role, and then Joe Allen as well again, just an extra body in midfield. One of the things that um, obviously they've been hugely criticised for, but it hasn't stuck yet, was the transfer dealings last summer when they practically added nobody to the, the starting 11 bar Mignolet and goals. Um, Joe Allen was a transfer flop until about eight or nine weeks ago when he started becoming a regular in the team and now nobody goes, oh, Joe Allen, what's he doing? Why is he in the team? Why do they spend so much money on him? So is there a possibility that it just takes a year to understand what Brendan Rodgers wants you to do and that those defenders, some of them, soccer in particular, might actually make it as somebody who is a first-choice Liverpool player next year and that their transfer dealings are you know, not a 100% bust as they have been accused of being. And look at even Luis Suarez, his first season at Liverpool, 11 goals. Everyone knew he had the potential from his time at Ajax to score all these goals. It just took him a while. We spoke about Shane Long last week. How do you get a player to move up to that next level? Yeah. Whatever Brendan Rodgers has done to make Suarez so clinical, there's no reason why he can't. He, he's brought Henderson along, Flanagan, Allen, as you say, even Skirtle has improved in the last few months. There's no reason why he can't improve these players. As you say, Sacco, the other guys who come in during the summer. One, yeah, last, one last thing, sorry. Mm. I think three teams in history have won the amount of games that Liverpool will need to win if they win out in a row. Is it 17 games? Would it be total? It'll be 14 if they, between now and the end of the season. Oh, they've so got eight, they've got six games left. Okay, sorry, I thought it was a bit more. But I think there's only three teams in history have managed that feat. So we are talking about historic levels of form and massive big games. To and bizarrely, up. as well, Liverpool, I think they won 11 games in a row and 10 games in a row in one season in 2006 and finished third hmm. the, uh, which is quite bizarre I don't really remember that season did they just lose loads of other games this was the year they won the FA Cup so yeah they well obviously they did to uh, finish third and presumably lost the big games at the time the uh, Rogers, point about Brendan Rodgers coming out a bit like David Brent he's, I, I actually think particularly in the last couple of weeks he's that reflects even better on him now that documentary in many ways right because Raheem Sterling comes out you know that bit in the documentary where he turns around to Raheem Sterling and he says did you just did you just what did you just say there and uh, Raheem Sterling says I don't know I didn't say anything I wasn't talking to you at all and uh, he says right like one more like that and you're back in the boat I don't know what he meant by back in the boat by the way but he said that to him twice and then uh, Raheem Sterling uh, came out a couple of weeks ago and said you know what like uh, straight away after that training session Rogers came over to me and said we cleared the air, we had this great discussion and then he goes on to become this uh, very important player obviously in the Liverpool system right now and I actually think that on the basis of that documentary it kind of reflects pretty well on him. The other point about it is you, um, in terms of the, the run-in and the, the transfer market that you talk about, Liverpool's net spend is half that of City and Chelsea which I think makes that... Over the, what period oh, of oh, Like traditionally over the last, I don't know, three, three, four years since City have started spending big bucks. That, well, that's still a huge amount of money, isn't it? It's still, it's still a perfect a, storm, though, for Liverpool yeah. this season that they don't have Champions League, that they're basically relying on the same... I, I would imagine when I look back, 14, the last 15. seven or eight matches, this, nine of the players have started and he's rotated between Alan Coutinho and Sterling. Yeah. So that is not going to happen again for Liverpool, presumably for many years to come. Also, Chelsea, City having injury problems, Chelsea not having a striker... City having problems with Aguero. It's almost like when Manchester United won the league last season. You look back and think, how did, how did they manage to win that title so comfortably when you look at their squad now? But so many of the other teams struggled at crucial moments. And going out early from the Champions League didn't, didn't do them any harm. Well, you say it's not sustainable. Diddy Hamann uh, reckons that Liverpool will win the season this season, uh, win the Premier League this season, and they'll win it next season by 15 points. <laughs> 
Uh, I had, is uh, is giving odds on that? Um, I don't know. You might have to tweet him up on that. Uh, but yeah, was they, he on LFC TV at the time? I don't know where he was. I just read it uh, over the last <laughs> twenty four hours. But it's pretty incredible. I mean, I don't know. I don't know too many. It's going to give you uh, on the basis of the the particularly on the basis of their net transfer spend over the last few years. I think there's Sorry, really the much point about the net transfer spend is that uh, that's actually a whole heap of money. That mm. the so Chelsea and. Uh, City have spent a massive amount of money and half of that is still a huge amount of money. So it's not like they've done this completely. Ah, yeah. No, no, agreed, agreed. But when you're when you're operating at that level of the table, you do expect that clubs are kind of spending roughly the same. And again, I think that kind of reflects well on Rodgers as a coach. I think Rodgers has been excellent as a coach, yeah. But they have spent a lot of money. It's just that we're not, we've seen yeah, they, they are, there's no doubt though they are overachieving this season. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Which, which kind of blows Didi's 15 points next season out of the water a little bit. I presume we're going... Liverpool around the table here? Yes. Well, yeah, like honestly, if if Man City were to draw against Southampton, then I think Liverpool will somehow be complacent and suddenly that game becomes a whole lot harder. I, it does. It just, you know, mm. the opportunity to open up a big gap, like ooh. You're uh, not going to get the the hindsight chair too. It's true, it's true. I'm going to go at Liverpool. Right. Three uh, Liverpools around the table. But narrow, narrow Liverpool win. Nathan's at that one with uh, former West Ham striker uh, Clive Allen. Don't just restrict him to one club. Go, come on, Adrian, go through all <laughs> on the, his clubs. On the, basis, on the basis of today, Nathan, uh, he's former West Ham striker. Uh, Clive Spurs Allen. legend, Clive Allen. Yeah, I think that's pretty much more accurate, but uh, for our purposes for the QPR, weekend. QPR, I'd prefer Millwall, to sign a Crystal Palace with Arsenal, him. Palace. There were nine, nine Carlisle, was it Carlisle? Then he, then he decided he needed a complete break. Clearly, there were some <laughs> issues in London at the very end, and he had to get the hell out of Dodge very quickly and moved up to Carlisle for a couple of months. And then had a career in the short-lived... Uh, American Football League whatever it was called yeah. in Europe with the London Monarchs as an uh, extra point and field goal kicker you can put all those points to him on uh, Sunday night and why, why, there won't be much commentary it'll just be Clyde Allen the London? Life and Times um, former I think he had three or four England caps as well didn't he I think he yeah I think he quite a few more than Had that okay. uh, we, we'll have stats on top. this by we will. trust me I will certainly be Wikipedia Clive Allen by Sunday uh, half past one game on Sunday for us Everton against Arsenal at Goodison Park Dave will be at this one alongside uh, Kevin Kilban and obviously a lot of discussion into this one is but that Wayne Rooney goal the one remember the name I was watching back on the Sky Sports vault brilliantly named uh, during the week and it was actually I'm sure everybody remembers it but you don't really remember the Saul Campbell really lazy swing of the leg uh, in the lead into the Rooney goal that just dips over seam and comes back off the upright. Oh, um, okay, into the yeah. Back of the net. No, I don't at all. Not enough credit is given to the poor defending That's from Arsenal. That's actually my point. Yeah, it was like the ninety seventh minute though, so maybe Saul Campbell yeah. was knackered and he Rooney had just come off the bench. Not captain material is what I'm saying. It's you're it's the John Giles of this little group here. You're you're not looking at the brilliance. You're looking at the defensive mistakes every <laughs> single time. Uh, there was also a brilliant uh, Lee Carsley had a brilliant opportunity at one point, and Patrick Vieira comes sprinting across the pitch and absolutely creams him. Now it's just before every and scored so there was no action That's, taken but there, it's the game that stops Arsenal something run there's there yeah they were on a long that obviously that, that wasn't, wasn't the team of the um, that wasn't yeah. the uh, Invincibles team that was before that uh, was that the that actually Arsenal are the team with the record for the most Premier League wins in a row they finished the season with 13 victories in a row and then they went that was 2002 that goal is it possible that this is the next season continuation or something? I remember it, like it wasn't just a, a goal of a meaningless game. It was like, oh, this stopped something special for Arsenal happening. So it wasn't just the announcement of Wayne Rooney as a force. 
It was uh, like actually. It was the last minute. I've watched a few of the uh, the few of the commentary bits. The ITV was the one that said, "Remember the name," pretty pretty much pretty quickly. And the one I watched was on Sky. And the guy took about thirty seconds. He didn't say anything for a while. I think he was kind of like, "Jesus, oh, this is going to be momentous. I better come up with something big here." It takes him about a minute to come up with something big. And even at that, it's like, "Oh Jesus, you've just taken all this time." But uh, but yeah, look, it was it was a goal despite Sal Campbell. What an amazing uh, moment of engagement for the country. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's probably going to go on and win five league titles at Manchester United sometime. Old. Um, Everton uh, have won all five Premier League games in March I remember calling this back really bravely because the quality of their opposition was brutal The March was going to be a good month for Everton they were going to get themselves back in the Champions League uh, places uh, April is decent they have Arsenal and United obviously which kind of might put a bit of a, a spanner in the in the works but uh, in terms of the Champions League we, this is, we asked this four or five weeks ago and um, I'm sure, Jerry, you said they were out of the equation, but I mean, you might still have a good reason for feeling the exact same thing today. Uh, well, I think at the time it looked like they were completely gone, done and dusted. Mm. That uh, the traditional end of season collapse from the plucky young upstarts was upon us. But their form, their ability to win games, even when their form hasn't been good, has been the most impressive thing about them. For example, the Fulham game didn't play particularly well, make a couple of changes, and win that game. Um, yeah, we've seen Fulham against the good teams be hard to beat. So that result is actually very good for them. Also, you just expected Arsenal to be able to get some points. And they suddenly stopped getting points. One win in the Premier League since February. Now, the one thing that makes me concerned for Everton in this game is the fact that Arsenal did manage to dig something out last week. And it's that fighting spirit against Manchester City, which was so plainly lacking for about a month for Arsenal. Um and yet, at the same time, I don't see any reason why Everton won't be very confident in heading into this game. Just to bring it back to that sort of budgetary conversation again, Arsene Wenger has again this week said that the academy is where it's at. I need that's where we need to be producing players from. Yeah, it's fine to kind of top up. There's been a couple of exceptions this year where you might think Arsene Wenger is not the most amazing coach. The Chelsea Liverpool City games are obviously pretty clear pointers to that, but. Could we suggest that if he had spent a little bit more money, I looked at some of the figures this week and uh, he really, really hasn't spent, ultimately what it amounts to, there's differing figures wherever you go, but ultimately what it amounts to, he hasn't spent a lot of cash. That if he had spent a little bit more, like for example, not offering £40 million and £1 for Luis Suarez to start oh, well the season. Look, there's no doubt that if Arsenal had Luis Suarez, they would have won the league. But like, isn't that, so my point is, isn't that this like a huge shame for Arsene Wenger yeah. that he could never just see himself past, like I... I, I I would, if I was ever to be a Premier League manager, which is kind of unlikely at this point, I would want to be Arsene Wenger, but I'd want to top that up with a few quid. Ifs and buts, though. There's no guarantee if Arsenal had signed Luis Suarez, they would have won the league. He might have got injured in the first game, missed 10 matches. If Arsenal hadn't signed Mesut Ozil, we could have been sitting here saying, if only he had spent that extra few million and bought Mesut Ozil. He was just a creative link player they needed. But they did, and it hasn't worked out. And that is the excuse Wenger, I'm sure, will use and go, well, mm. you wanted us to spend last summer and we spent 40 well, million. He's been injured and you're for criticizing a while. Well, yeah, he was that bit of form massively too, out of form yeah, in, yeah. The, in the weeks leading up to it. Now, again, he could be one of these guys that next season just kicks on massively. Arsenal spend enough money. They may need to spend 40 million on a player every summer from now on to keep yeah. up with. Liverpool well, and his, his track United. record would suggest that's definitely not going to be the case because over the first nine years he spent. I'm guessing here, but it's 75 or 80% of the total budget that he's spent over the 18 years that he's been there. So it suggests well, that he's actually becoming more entrenched in the idea you, that he Are you talking to total gross budget? Or are you talking total net, including net. transfers out? Yeah, net, so I, yeah. I don't think he can actually really deal with Arsenal in that way because they have recouped so much money from, from selling players. Yeah. So 
uh, which you know counts on a balance sheet, but in football terms, actually, is relatively meaningless. The Arsenal fans make the point that he negotiated safely the passage through building a new stadium, and they're largely debt free, and they can spend whatever money they want. But I do think that if they'd signed Luis Suarez, we'd be talking about Liverpool, or we'd be talking about uh, Arsenal as runaway league champions and contenders in the Champions League but yeah. he would have won, He got, would have. what would have happened was he would have started the season brilliant. well he would have been suspended for the start of the season he would have played a few matches he would have, would have got one of those Arsenal tie strains yeah. that yeah. starts has been out for two weeks and next thing it's uh, four months later and we still haven't seen him yeah and right. Aaron Ramsey Aaron Ramsey is just the the great lost season but like again our friend Raymond Verheim we bring him up in the podcast every week my concern with Arsenal isn't that um, they haven't spent money but they've also spent money badly the the investment, the rushed investment in Podolski, like if there's all the strikers in the world and Podolski is the one that you settle on, that's grand. But like, I don't know, the the success that Gervinho has been having in uh, Italy with Roma, how did that happen? How did, how did they not learn how to turn him into a player? Why didn't they loan him to Roma for a year and go, it turns out you're very good, come on back. On top of that, realising that Flamini was obviously the player that he was and allowing him to leave and obviously having to... Uh, like, are they not paying Flamini now what they would have paid him in the first place? Like, uh, you know, the wage structure is important and all that, but... It'd be 20, 30 grand a week in the difference, you would think, max. Yeah. But is Verheyen's point as well that you can only really revolutionise football once and Wenger did that 18 years ago? You see, I, like, I think that it would be possible to keep changing if the voices around you changed and questioned you as opposed to what it seems like when Steve Bold was foisted on Wenger took a few training sessions early on and then was cut out of all decision making and is now back sitting on the dugout and being talked to from time to time but it basically has become a yes man according to the people who we speak to about Arsenal um, and so Wenger doesn't have people who question his authority or who question his ideas and so what we see is the club in fourth where they have been every season for the last 16 years, pretty much on or off, fighting for Champions League and hoping against hope that somehow they'll be able to beat Hull and then one of Sheffield United or whoever the other cup semi-finalist is. Yeah, but the other point is that over those four, 14 years, he's achieved that. You know, like the track record again would say that wise money's on Arsenal here, this situation. I think the wise money is on Arsenal to finish fourth. Well, they're four points clear. Like, I understand there's a game in hand, but they're four points clear and, you know, they're in fourth, so... In fact, I would expect that Arsenal will finish closer to the champions than Everton will finish closer to Arsenal. Really? That's a gap of seven points to Liverpool at the moment. Yeah, I just think I can see Arsenal finishing the season very, very well. They've got a good sort run of fixtures towards, towards the end of the season. Come back to haunt you. Well, I, I, I was at Fulham Everton Loose. the last day, and Fulham figured them out very quickly. Keep the two fullbacks penned back, Coleman and Baines, and stop the link player, which was Barkley, who was pretty much anonymous for 45 minutes before he was taken off at halftime. They did have three games in the week, but you stop those three players and Lukaku couldn't get the ball. It was yeah. just long, aimless balls into the corner that he was chasing. It just, I think they're probably lacking still one or two creative players and the calibre of player that Arsenal have in around midfield. James, James McCarthy Ma- not doing it for you? But James McCarthy, I've been very impressed with James McCarthy and Gareth Barry, but they're both essentially doing the same job of sitting back and protecting neither of them are going to create you well, a that's, huge that's amount funny, that's what John Giles was saying that um, McCarthy doesn't drive on doesn't give the ball to the fullback and then make a burst for it so he's like give me the ball he, he'll pass the ball to the fullback and then come back and keep possession which is maybe what Roberto Martinez mm. wants him to do exactly and down to the to the letter but until 
John said until McCarthy does do that and demand it, then he's not going to become one of those great driving forces in midfield. Immediately he said that. The Everton fans are texting, you haven't watched any of this. I can't believe you're saying this. What are you saying? McCarthy's amazing. Well, that was Giovanni Trapattoni's criticism of him all the time, that he was too quiet and he didn't demand the ball in the way, say, that Steven Gerrard, who he was often compared to, would. He wants the ball all the time and he wants to drive forward. McCarthy seems happy an awful lot of the time to play the simple pass back to the fullback or back to the defender he was very good last Sunday covering the defence he was flying in with tackles on the edge of the area which as you say maybe is what Roberto Martinez wants from him and this was something Keith Andrews was pointing out more we were criticising De La Feo after the match for not tracking back and yeah. Keith Andrews was saying well we don't know what Roberto Martinez has said to him that maybe he has said to De La Feo, don't track back and help Seamus Coleman out stay up there and try and pen Risa back and then when I spoke to Seamus Coleman after the match I asked him about it was a tough it was a very tough game for Seamus Coleman and with De in front of me he said well look I'm told when my job is when De is in front of me get the ball give it to him Yeah, that he's not intended to run and be the attacking wing back that we've come to know him as this season seems weird isn't it well it's just, obviously they had looked at Risa and thought this guy doesn't have the legs anymore yeah. if we can isolate him one on one with De Lefeu, perfect but why not try and isolate him two on one with Seamus Coleman bursting past him well, they were playing Richardson out the wing as well. So okay. maybe they're thinking if Coleman had gone, if Coleman was going too far it forward, both teams actually had a similar plan, I think, because all the game was played out that wing, where Fulham had two guys trying to pen Coleman back, and Coleman was happy to sit back, and it was yeah, it was an interesting tactical battle. But it it, it ended up with it looking as though Delafay was just being lazy yeah. and not tracking back, which is fair enough, really. Mm. Uh, that's the one thirty game. We obviously need to kick this on a little bit. Everton against Arsenal. I am going to go for an Arsenal win here, lads. Arsenal. I'm going to go for Everton. Uh, the Do we have scores on last week? I thought I had a good yes. week. Yeah. Well, you did not. <laughs> <laughs> we only we only uh, made nine predictions because we didn't go near the Monday night game. So six for Jer. I want to get the Monday night game right. Who was playing again? <laughs> six for Dave. Eight out of nine no Eight out for of the nine. new master. Eight out of nine. I was saying I should have stuck a euro on that, but then I would have just been really disappointed. With the ninth result. With the, which was uh, predicting the Cardiff would beat West Brom. Ah. Oh. Well, you were pretty close to it. No, you weren't. No, I wasn't. Oh, yeah. I would have been, it was the complete opposite. Another minute yeah. of uh, added time and you were, you were sorted. Uh, 12.45 kickoff Saturday is City and Southampton. Um, Man City starting the day, obviously, with that uh, couple of games in hand over Liverpool. Uh, four points back from the lead. Uh, Maurizio Pochettino this week, reading that he's uh, pointed to a different system of analysis that isn't outcome uh, related. He spoke this week about performance mentality, mentality and uh, individual collective performances. And he actually says that if Southampton goes on to lose this game against Manchester City on Saturday afternoon, that that doesn't mean that they're not progressing, which would seem to be a fair enough analysis. He's obviously paving the way for um, defeat at the weekend, but well, it actually seems to be... If the rugby coaches said that, you'd be like, oh, this is great. We hear about this performance no, over analysis. No, I'd be saying that, uh, you know, I, I completely get the idea Hitting of performance over analysis, particularly when you're Southampton going to Manchester City. Actually, this is the makings of potentially one of the games of the weekend. Um, two obviously interesting styles, but... Um, Joe Schmidt said that, you'd be like, oh, that's, that's refreshing, isn't it? That he's not entirely outcome dependent. If Joe said that before, Joe Schmidt said that before Ireland played New Zealand I'd be like okay uh, that's an interesting way of looking at things I mean you know that is that is the perceived wisdom in rugby that it's kind of performance uh, it's it's not so much outcome related it's performance related 
Um, I understand why Maurizio Pochettino is saying it, and I and I also think it points to a more holistic approach from him in that you know he's saying to his players that obviously removes a level of pressure from the players ahead of going to Manchester. Was that not the week. problem with Irish rugby for years though? That it was performance related, not result related. Well, we never got the performance. Got either. Was, yeah. Uh, uh, Aguero's back. Well, he could be on. He's probably going to be on the bench. Is he back? He's because he's worried about missing the World well, Cup. Well, this I heard them talking about this on the football show earlier in the week that maybe Sergio's mind is not fully on regaining the title for Manchester City his yeah. mind is more on uh, Brazil in the summer which is hardly surprising yeah that'd be kind of incredible wouldn't it you know like from Manchester City's point of view from ah, Pellegrini's point of view he has a title and they're probably yeah, going to do it without I mean, him you've just spent the last how can he top what he did the last time when they won the title yeah. last minute of injury time ah, but come on you can't I just won say, you your title <laughs> yeah. you can't just say he didn't win over Pellegrini and you can't just say uh, you know I've done my bit here, so I'm I'm checking out. I'm getting myself ready for the World Cup here. No one's saying that he's uh, he's writing it down, like and it's kind of in there in the team meetings, scrolling kind of pictures of the World. By Cup the way, lads, I'm, don't bother counting on me today. I'm thinking about the summer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yo soy el Diego, uh, but I think that it's inevitable when there's a World Cup in Brazil and you're from Argentina mm. and you've grown up with this rivalry all your life and you're the you know you and you're Leo Messi have the potential to win the World Cup. Because let's face it, any two, if like any partnership takes off during this World Cup, defences are so equal, tactically the amount of work that the teams have done on each other, you can easily nullify another team if that's, like as we saw at Manchester United and Bayern Munich. Um, if, I, if I'm Argentinian, I'm thinking I'm going to win this World Cup. Yeah, yeah look, especially I'm, when they look at their draw. And I'm sure, like, it'd be ridiculous to think that Sergio Aguero isn't thinking about that. I'd be really surprised if he's thinking that I'm going to uh, opt out of trying to help Manchester City win the Premier League. Well, he's not going to opt out. He's going to try and get fit for the last two games to make sure he's got a bit of game time under his belt. But anybody see the uh, what was it called? Inside City, inside what was it? Something like that during the week. It was on uh, one of these ITV channels. I watched it back uh, last night, and yeah, there was at one point. You remember the time Tevez went AWOL from Manchester City and he yeah. was disappeared for a while, and Aguero, Aguero thought I actually fancy getting taking his seat in the dressing room, so I just moved into it. Then Tevez eventually comes back and he goes, no, "I want that seat." So instead of like sitting down like two men and saying, "You know, we need to discuss this," and one of us needs to pick another seat here, they built a seat. So there's a little little jutting out area beside where uh, Tevez stroke Aguero's seat was. They built another seat into it. They're like a couple of kids. I, I just I don't understand. Keeps them happy and keeps them scoring goals. And then and then Tevez leaves and Aguero doesn't move into the seat. He moves to a seat at the far side of the uh, the dressing room. I just thought it was really weird. Um, I guess the point is if Pellegrini turns around to him tomorrow and says, "Are you fit?" He goes, "Nah, not really." Not really. Yeah, I, I can give you fifteen minutes, Gaffer. Yeah, I don't know. I can't see it, lads. Um, the draw for me. City, at home. Yeah, unstoppable going to go for that as well uh, there was an interesting quote as well from the kit man he, uh, about Pellegrini in that documentary he says a good morning which is a big difference and the documentary kind of leaves it at that i.e. Uh, Mancini wasn't really a bit of a how are you getting on sort of man but he won the league uh, the three o'clock games Jerry, you're going to talk to us I think uh, to begin with about one word answers because we're down to the final two minutes yeah uh, uh, we watching Villa, this one first on Saturday Aston Villa against Fulham Oh, I'm going to start with Man United oh, again. Am I sorry? Newcastle, yeah. Man United. Man United are going to win this because Newcastle are on the beach. Newcastle are going to win this because United have one eye on Whoa. midweek <laughs> against Bayern and Newcastle at home. This is they've very little to play for for the rest of the season. They might just give it one last shot. Manchester United need to beat Spurs to finish in the Europa League, which they need to do because next season is going to be a Champions League place for Europa League winners, which you would expect Manchester United to be able to win. 
next season. Newcastle have lost three of their last four in the Premier League. They've scored just one goal. They're on an absolute, absolute downward spiral. That has got to be Manchester United win. Uh, that's one of the three o'clock games. So yeah, let's just go through them after that to get a few uh, predictions going here. Uh, Cardiff against Crystal Palace, Ger? Uh Draw. Nathan? Cardiff. And I'm going to go for Crystal Palace. I immediately here. I regret think, that decision. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is in it. Uh, Norwich against West Brom. Ger, go with you again. Norwich. Norwich at home, unbeaten in six. And I am going to go for West Brom here. It's starting to get some players back. Olsen and Achebe, Billy Jones, possibly this week. So I think they could pull off something there. Aston Villa against Fulham. I'm going to go for Aston Villa here. Fulham. Fulham. Aston Villa's on form is abysmal. They're playing Fulham. Fulham showed signs. Stoke beat them 4-1. Fulham showed signs last week that there might be something in it. A Hull against Swansea. I'm going to go for Swansea here. Swansea. Draw. And I think that pretty much completes the jury for the Friday Football Podcast. What about games. Uh, the late game? Chelsea-Stoke? Oh, yeah. Chelsea win. Oh, yeah. Ah, yeah. I think we can broadly Chelsea's agree form bad around these games in Europe. And but they still always manage to win at home under Mourinho. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with Chelsea as well, but wouldn't terribly surprise if they lost. Right, lads. Pleasure as always. Nathan, enjoy your uh, trip over the water. I will do. I'll be uh, frantically researching every single one of Clive Allen's clubs and uh, England caps <laughs> and tune in. The London Monarchs. Tune in uh, four o'clock uh, Sunday. Off the ball Sunday from one and Saturday afternoon from one o'clock actually. Standard programme one to nine. Oh, well.